Amen. And now please remain standing for our second scripture reading, which is our sermon text. This comes from Hebrews 12, continuing as we've been doing through this book. In our sermon series, we come now to Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17, which begins on page 1196 in the Bibles in front of you. This is God's word. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious and compassionate God, thank you for speaking so solemnly and clearly to us so that we would know what is true and what we must do. Lord, we thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Everything that we need is here. And yet, Lord, we know that we must attend with careful attention and also with humble faith, a willingness to repent, a willingness to change, even if it costs us greatly. And we pray you give us that willingness by your Spirit, and you give us teachable hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, maybe some of, you, some of you have read the classic book, The Cross and the Switchblade, where a country preacher who's named Davy Wilkerson, he makes one of his first trips to um, a very dangerous part of New York City. He's coming from very rural Pennsylvania, going to very dangerous urban New York City. And since he's low on cash in one of these first visits, he decides to spend his night sleeping in his car right on this gang-ridden street of New York City. And later, the next day, a seasoned pastor learns of what he did, and he says to him, you did what? <laughs> that is so unbelievably unsafe. Never do that again. And maybe you've had a similar conversation with your teen about other kinds of things that are incredibly unsafe. And isn't it true that early in our lives, maybe early in our spiritual lives, we have this sort of blissful ignorance of just how dangerous life can be. I mean, we've never been mugged, we've never been raped or violated in any way, and we think that we're street smart, but we're actually not. And we make some very unwise choices things that really are unwise, that sometimes bring very great harm on us that could easily be avoided, all the while going into it thinking in our ignorance that the other people who are so concerned and like, hey, don't do it, that they're the unwise ones. 
Well, of course, I'm not just talking about navigating New York City. This dynamic, this idea that there are terrible perils, terrible dangers all around us is very much a spiritual reality for us in the Christian life. I like how the kids' version of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress is called Dangerous Journey. In other words, what's the Christian life? Dangerous journey. It really says it perfectly. Because think about it, even if you're in the safety of your own home, you're not on the streets of some urban place like New York City, uh, gang-ridden part of, of the world, right? Um, you could be very safe in your own home, and yet in grave, grave spiritual danger right there in the comfort of your living room. It is through many dangers, toils, and snares that we enter the kingdom of God. We have to pass through all of these. And the author of Hebrews wants us to be ready. He wants us to be prepared so that we can run the race with perseverance the way Jesus, our forerunner, did. He doesn't want us to grow weary or lose heart on the journey. That was last week's sermon, remember? He doesn't want us to grow weary on the journey. He wants us to be receptive of the Father's discipline. Now he wants us to be very, very careful of spiritual dangers on the journey. And that's what we're going to see today. So you can kind of imagine this like in all those fairy tales where the sage at the beginning of the hero's quest is saying, now there are three things you must do, three things you must not do. That's what's going to happen today. We'll see three things that you must do if you're to safely navigate this dangerous journey. And then we're going to see three things that we must not do. And then we'll think about at the end how all of this is going to be by the grace of Jesus Christ. So three things to do to safely navigate the dangerous journey. Things that we have to do if we're going to make it to the end of the finish line and run with race to perseverance. Number one is in verses 12 and 13 where he says, Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. You may say to yourself, well, wait, there's three commands right there. But this is all one command, three different metaphors for the same basic idea. The hands, the knees, the feet, they correspond to anything or anybody who is weak or sick, spiritually speaking. It could be an area of our lives that is not well, or it could be a person in our lives, maybe a person that we know here that is not doing well in their walk with Christ. And the metaphor goes like this. Look, if you're going on this really long hike, this really long journey, this, this long walk, and you, your, your feet start acting up like you're, you're feeling that blister forming, right? Or you're feeling your knee starting to kick out and starting to get some serious pain, it's folly to just say, oh, whatever, I'll just soldier on and ignore it. No, you need to do something about it or you're going to develop a really big problem, a huge blister on your foot or your knee is going to get out of joint. And as he says, what is lame might be put out of joint. Problem that starts bad, there's all these warning signs, and then because those warning signs are ignored, it goes to critical. And so what, what's happening? In his mercy, God 
does not let some calamity come upon us without usually giving us a warning sign. Usually. Right? This is true in our bodies. Very often there's warning signs. You know, there's that weird feeling in your gut. And you're like, hey, this is not going away. I should get this checked out. You discover, wow, I've got this underlying condition. Good thing I paid attention. And we address this now. Right? Spiritual realm works the same way. Look, there's always these warning signs. Very often there are these warning signs that need to be attended to. If someone starts drifting away from worship, maybe even at worship, they start drifting away. They're not paying attention anymore with the same attentiveness. Or they're just not attending anymore. Or they're here, but they're withdrawn and they're uncommunicative. Warning. It's a warning sign. Or if we start just in our personal daily walk, we start losing interest in the Word of God and in prayer. Warning. If we start bad spending patterns, start accumulating lots of debt that we're having trouble repaying, we start harboring resentment against somebody, or when our work or our drinking or our eating habits all start spiraling, warning, 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 warning. Something is not right on the inside. They are signs of a present spiritual issue that is a looming spiritual crisis. Right? And so if we leave these things unchecked and just sort of blow it off, it could become disastrously awful. Right? That weak knee that suddenly kicks out and no, now gets dislocated. Now it's really bad. Or, you know, just a, a modern example. You know, the check engine light. Uh, who cares? Well, okay, now you ruined your engine and your car's over. Right? It's done. So what do we have to do? What's the big idea? What's the first warning? Pay attention to the warning signs. Pay attention both, and this is the kicker, in your life and in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Look, we are all at some time or other the weaker brother or sister. There are, for all of us, pastors included, there are times where we need help from other people. And we need to pay attention when our brother or sister is not doing well so that they can, as verse 13 says, be healed. And this, this means that for us, when we see these warning signs in ourselves, we need to not be so proud that we refuse to get help. A lot of the reason why we don't get help is, I can handle it myself. You don't want to have to entrust yourself to another person. Please do. Please pay attention. Please realize you can't go with this alone. <laughs> so I want you to ask yourself, Honestly, are there warning signs that you're ignoring? Warning signs in your life, in the life of somebody around you? Sometimes we need to be that guy, that friend, who says, no, I, I won't listen when you tell me, I'm fine, I'm fine, leave me alone. Sorry, I'm not going away. I'm going to be that person for you. <laughs> I'm going to help you. We are going to get help. Do that. If you're going to make it to the end, Pay attention to the warning signs. Second thing, if we're going to say stay on our journey to the end, we have to, it says, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. And this is something we have to strive for. We have to work at it. So if you come 
to church from a particularly broken or abusive past, what's the first thing often that people feel when they're coming from that? It's like, oh, this is amazing. This is so wonderful. This is so refreshing. A group of people who actually love each other and who love me. This is so incredible. I'm so, so glad to be here. And this is, of course, what the church is meant to be, a safe place, a place of love. And I just want to encourage you. I I can't tell you how many visitors have come to me and said, I'm just so blown away by how friendly everybody is, how welcoming. Um, That's one of their first, first impressions, and that is to your credits, to the grace of God working in you. But let's face it. Every church, even the most friendly, welcoming church, is also a hospital for sinners. We are, none of us, fully sanctified yet, right? All of us have some remaining sin in us. And eventually, you're going to bump into that. And I've seen it more than once, where the honeymoon phase leads to the disappointment phase. Where people come and they're like, this is the most amazing church in the entire world, and I love this church. And then they encounter people's sin, and they become disenchanted, and they're like, my ideal has been so shattered, I'm happy. And they're checked out, and then they're actually out. So what are we to do to avoid this and to get real (laughs) about what every church is like, right? What are we to do? Strive for peace with everyone. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Keep short accounts. And of course, we want to keep short accounts with our family, with our spouses most of all, but yes, with our family and with our church family. So that, yes, someone will sin against you. It will happen. You will feel slighted. And sometimes it won't just be that you feel it. It will actually be a hurtful thing that happens to you. What should you do? Talk to them. Strive for peace with them. You go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Remember, Matthew 18, that's why we read this earlier. When your brother sins against you, go to your brother. <laughs> Don't wait for them to, to apologize to you like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be mad until they come. No. You go to them, and you try to make it right. And you do it in a peaceable way, not in a way that's going to inflame it more. Like, hey, I don't know if you meant this in a hurtful way, but when you said this, this is how it felt for me. I just really, I really felt hurt by that. And I want things to be right. That's why I'm coming. I'm not here to, like, beat you over the head with this, right? Um, and then, you know, if that doesn't work, you get other people involved. But the whole idea is, as a company of believers on our long pilgrimage to heaven, has anybody ever been on a long car ride <laughs> with their family? We're going to sin against each other. We need to love each other. We're in the same car for a long time. Let's be patient. And don't grow disenchanted as if something weird is happening and as though this, this church has betrayed me. And No. Look, every one of us struggles with sin. So strive for peace. Be part of the solution. That's number two. Number three, strive for not just peace, but the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what's holiness again? It's one of those Bible words. It's that glorious goodness and uprightness that sets God apart from all of us sinners. Holiness is God's glorious goodness and uprightness that sets him apart. 
What, do we, what are we like when we're hurt? We like to hurt back. What is God like when he's hurt? Gracious. Extending grace to sinners. That's part of his holiness. When we do wrong, what do we want to do? What are we tempted to do? We want to cover it up. What does God do when he encounters wrong? He does not cover it up because it would be convenient or less painful to him. He brings it to light because he's a God of truth, because he's a holy God. When we give our word and it suddenly becomes very costly to keep it, we make excuses to say, oh, well, I don't have to keep this commitment. When God gives his word, even when it costs him his own son, he keeps his word. He is holy. And as you think about the three things you're supposed to do on the journey, I think this is the most important one. The other two are kind of disaster management stuff, right? Um, look out for those areas of weakness or those, those who are struggling with weakness. Strive for peace with everybody. That's about disaster prevention. But this one is the positive goal of our journey, striving for holiness. And remember, it's this holiness, in this holiness, that we will get to see the Lord. God has saved us for a purpose. Why? Not just so that we wouldn't go to hell, but so that we would be holy and have fellowship with him and get to enjoy being like him. He's making us into reclaimed, glorious image bearers who in all of life picture how God is holy. We become holy like him. And so if you're going to make it on the long journey, you have to keep your eye on the long goal, which is becoming holiness. And you need to strive for it. You need to be busy about it. You need to be focused on it. Here are some marks of someone who is focused on holiness. First off, they are interested in it. They want to learn, to think like a Christian, to act like a Christian. They're reading their Bible, not just because they feel like, oh, I should do this, but they want to understand what it says about how to live and how to think. And they're asking questions. They don't think that they know it all already. They're rather saying, man, there's so much still to learn. Give it to me. I want it. And they know that sin is what comes naturally. Sin is what feels good. Sin is what we're going to always be justifying in our hearts. And so they're questioning themselves like, is this actually holiness or is this worldliness? Am I making an excuse here? Am I just following kind of the downward path, you know, the float down the stream kind of approach to life? Or am I striving in the uphill battle against sin for holiness? Am I striving after all the ways that God gives holiness, all those means of grace? Am I seeking God in prayer, seeking God in his word, seeking God in the sacraments, pursuing Christ relentlessly because they know it's only through Christ that we become holy. You're asking people to hold you accountable. You're asking people for prayer. You're asking people to speak into your lives and say, show me my sin because I want to grow. Striving after holiness. Striving after Christ, the author of our holiness. You need to be striving if you're going to be making it to the end. So these are the things we need to do on our dangerous journey. Strengthen those weak parts of us. Seek peace, striving for holiness. Now, more briefly, we're going to see what we must avoid if we're going to make the dangerous journey. He says in verse 15, see to it that, and then there's three things that spell big trouble. 
that he says. And uh, as we're going through these, I want you to notice that these are things that are committed to all of us Christians. Yes, the, the, the pastors and elders are the shepherds who are looking out for people who are straying, but we all need to look out for each other. This is a responsibility for us all. We are all each other's keepers. Right? So number one, he says, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, that seems really, really obvious. Like, okay, yeah, I understand. But I think there's a grave danger that he's warning us against as we just ponder this for a little bit. Isn't, there, isn't it tempting, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, isn't it tempting to just go to church, do what you've got to do, but never actually have dealings with God in your soul? Like, here you are, you're, and you're a participant. You're, you're singing the songs. You're praying the prayer. You're, 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 you're involved. You're here. And yet there's this guard around the soul where you're never really having honest dealings with the Savior in your soul. You're not really dealing with the hard things he's bringing up as the word is preached and taught. This is not a group journey where there will be passengers. On this pilgrimage, everybody's walking. Everybody needs to find their own footing on the path to Jesus. So just asking yourself, are you having it out with Jesus? Are you keeping it real? Are you honestly examining yourself as the word is coming to you like, okay, I know sin is deceitful. I know I've learned a lot, but I know I still have more I need to learn. How is the word approaching me today? Are you keeping it real with Jesus? Or is this really just about, my parents want me to come, so I come. My spouse wants me to come, so I come. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Second thing to avoid See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Verse 15. So this made me think of black walnut trees. Black walnut trees. You can't plant them next to a lot of different plants. Why? Because the, the roots secrete this substance that's toxic, and it kills the nearby plants. In a similar way, a bitter Christian can toxify the fellowship and also themselves. A bitter Christian can destroy the fellowship of the saints. And this really matches pretty closely with the second thing that we must do. So that's why it could be kind of brief here, pursuing peace, right? Pursuing peace means dealing with bitterness. But the point is, pay attention to bitterness. It is a serious deal. It is a red alert situation. It is not something that we just brush off and say, well, I just won't be friends with that person. No. If you hear cutting, sarcastic words, if you hear angry tone, if you experience cold shoulder kinds of stuff where somebody ignores greetings or doesn't talk to you or avoids people, or if there's gossip and destructive stuff going on, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention, of course, in your own heart, like is bitterness cropping up in me, right? But you also need to pay attention to it in everybody around you. And maybe somebody slights another brother or sister, and the other brother or sister just sort of like doesn't even seem to notice, like walks away. And you're like, 
hey, did you, did you notice that? Because like, I, I'm concerned. I think you might, I think there might be a problem. I think you need to go and talk. Would you, would you like me to go with you? We can talk about what that guy just said. Avoid the root of bitterness. It will toxify the fellowship. Third, this is verse 16. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau is like the ultimate worldling in Scripture. He's the ultimate worldling. Remember in Genesis, he came back from hunting. He's super hungry. There's Jacob. He's preparing this delicious, must have smelled amazing stew. And Jacob's, Esau says, give me some of that red stuff. <laughs> and Jacob says, sell me your birthright first. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> that sounds manipulative, right? But what does Esau do, even if it was manipulative? He does it. He trades his birthright, which, remember, what's the birthright? It's the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of the kingdom of God. Your children will be in covenant with me forever. The kingdom of God, that's his birthright. He's like, uh, kingdom of God, pot of stew. I'll go with a pot of stew. What does that say about his view of the kingdom of God? Really small. This is the choice we make every single time we embrace some pleasure in this life at the expense of our walk with Christ. Anytime we embrace something that is taking us away from Jesus, it's saying, this is how little in my heart of hearts I desire you. And he's saying, wake up when you're making those decisions. Recognize what's going on. You are trading the glory of the everlasting God for this trinket. If we're going to make it to the finish line of our dangerous journey, we need to pay very close attention to our desires, to an overweening desire for anything in this life where anything holds our greatest affections, our emotions, anything that gets us more excited than the Lord, anything that we believe promises greater satisfaction that we simply can't live without, we need to look to ourselves, recognize that as a serious danger, and not make the same decision Esau did, trading the kingdom for a pot of stew. So those are the grave dangers. Danger of going through the motions, not appropriating truly the grace of God, the danger of bitterness, and the danger of worldliness. And there are several lines in this text that show us just how critical these dangers are. Like, these are really, really big dangers. This is our last point. Verse 14, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you are not holy as God is holy, you will not enter his presence. Verse 17, Esau, after he had forfeited his birthright, he realized at least something of what he had done. And what happens? He's crying and he's weeping. Oh, please, 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 give it back. I'm sorry. I'm really, 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 really sorry. I realized what I did. I'm so sorry. There was no occasion found for him to ever regain what he had lost. And that corresponds to on the last day, there will be many who will appear before the judgment seat of Christ who have spent their entire lives seeking pleasure the pleasure of this life, only to realize that these momentary passing pleasures have cost them what really matters forever, fellowship with God. This is serious stuff. Now, here's what this is not saying. It's not saying, better get your acting gear. 
because if you're not good enough, God's going to throw you out of the pearly gates. No, the whole letter of Hebrews is written for undeserving sinners. What's he saying? He's saying, our great high priest, Jesus, has offered himself as a sacrifice to take away our unworthiness. Hebrews 4.14. We are told that because of his sacrifice, we now can enter his presence with boldness and confidence. But what this is saying is that false assurance is real, that the potential for spiritual ruin is all around us, and that there are many who think of themselves as Christians who will be turned away on the last day because, like Esau, they valued the world in their heart of hearts over God. And there will be no second chance. So this is the time, now, today, to examine our hearts, to ask ourselves, am I honestly being true to Jesus? Not that you're being perfect, but that you're seeking him. You're taking your sin to him. Are you excusing bitterness? Are you excusing worldliness? Well, take that to him. And don't, don't keep making excuses. And what he promises is he'll never turn you aside. And what he'll, what he'll give you, and this is the amazing thing, he says he'll give us that holiness for which we are now striving. In fact, the, thing, the holiness for which we're striving is, in a sense, already ours because of Christ. Christ has promised to make us holy as he is holy. He is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. What do we know about Jesus? That he has made it all the way through the dangerous journey to the end. And then what does he do? It's like, hey guys, hope you make it. No, he turns around and he says, now I'm going to pull you in after me. I'm going to perfect your faith. On the last day, it will be too late to repent. In contrast, in this life, it is never too late. You can come to him, and you should come to him now. And in the end, we will praise him, for he's the one who enabled us to persevere on this, our dangerous journey. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that the grace that we need to persevere to the end is already given in Jesus. Help us to receive that grace. Help us, Lord, to avoid these perilous dangers. Help us to do what makes for true fellowship with each other and especially with you. Help us to strive for holiness. We know that you can produce all these good things in our heart through the Spirit, and we ask that you would in Jesus' name. Amen. Will the elders please come forward for the Lord's Supper?